Weirdo Weirdo Bookworms Unite! Unite. Do your reading tastes range from dystopian sci-fi to middle-grade fantasy? Dark psychological thrillers to gory body horror? From YA paranormal swords and sorcery? Extraterrestrials? Murder? Mayhem! And beyond! Then we want to share our love of reading with you! Welcome home. The high holy season for us horror fans... Welcome to Spooky October! Yay! I thought you were going to say Spooky Slumber Party, and I was like, no, no, that's the other that's show. That's the other show. That's the other show. Which, I mean, you, sh- you should be listening to, especially the latest episode. is absolutely hilarious. Outstanding. But, um, no, 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 this is Genre Junkies, where we talk about books, and in the month of October, we only review horror books. All horror, all the time. <laughs> and then we kind of do the same in December, because that's my birthday month. <laughs> So a lot of you are going to be very happy for the next couple of months. <laughs> yes, and then next month, uh, November, we we tend to do fantasy, and and we do have books lined up for November. So, so a lot of you will not be happy for, uh, <laughs> next month. We'll see. We'll Why see. does everyone love you and your horror so much? Horror fans are we are a special breed. We are very loyal people, um, and we just we love our genre. We love our genre so, so much. But over here at Genre Junkies, we love a lot of genres. But um, <laughs> horror, is, horror is my bread and butter. <laughs> horror is where I make my home. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's October and we both do love spooky stuff and we love Halloween and we love all the trappings that come with Halloween. So so we're, we're having a good time. And we like fall because we don't like being warm. Yeah, this is the kind of getting into one of the best times of year. There's still some sun, mm-hmm. but it's it's cooler. Right. Although not so happy about not seeing in the sun in the morning, but that's kind of my own problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a personal problem. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about Kill Creek by Scott Thomas. But before we do that, before we do that, we should let everyone know we finished Squid Game. Yeah. Um along with everybody else. Yes. And I just want to st- say for a moment, when we started watching Squid Game, this was like it had just come out. It had. And um do you remember what I said? You said, "Well, now it's going to be famous." I said, "We're watching it. Sandra loves it. Now it's going to be huge." And of course it is. I don't know how that works. You are always one of the the earliest adopters to good media. You know what? I have good taste. <laughs> Except for, when I, except for when I have bad taste, and even then it's still good. Present company excluded. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we finished Squid Game. So that's that's important. That's that's done. And it really is worth every single ounce of the hype. I think a lot of our fans at Genre Junkies would be into Squid Game. Um, it's just, it's brutal, but it's beautiful. And it's aesthetically pleasing and just absolutely phenomenally acted i do have a pro tip for you if you haven't seen it yet however pro tip um a lot like like we watch all of our shows with closed captioning on because i'm got hearing stuff and you know it's it's just kind of become a thing too like i I prefer stuff with closed captioning on as well and so if you are like us and you have closed captioning on i highly recommend that you change it Mm -hmm. to English. There's English closed captioning and there's English. And there's kind of an interesting thing where the English closed captioning is the closed captioning of the dubbed version, which is slightly different than the original translation. Mm -hmm. Now, we watched it actually with the closed captioning uh, 
uh, translation, which I actually thought was great. Yeah, I, I really, I was very happy with it. But, Obviously, yeah. Um, there's actually been a lot of talk how how it is not a direct translation. So if you really want the exact translation mm-hmm. from from Korean, then th- that's that's how you do it. I I always like to say too, these actors are so good. You you, you can pretty much like you just are gonna know what's happening. I they're so like brilliant. There's parts of that show that I didn't even need uh subtitles because they're you acting it. really conveys what yeah. they're feeling and what they're communicating. We also are late, but we have started American Horror Story, the new season. That's the thing for us. We love American Horror Story. We're huge fans. And um I'm very pleased thus far with double feature. Yeah, it's it's um it's different. It's structured differently than your yeah. typical American horror story. And I, I think um, you know, American Horror Story is kind of a love it or hate it. There's a lot of people who love the first season and can't stand anything else afterwards. Or yeah, or they like every once in a while. Yeah. And that's fine because it's anthology. I really recommend, um, first of all, if you love American Horror Story, you're already watching it. Yeah. But if you, you know, fell off the boat with American Horror Story or you didn't like some of the seasons, um, I mean, I, I don't understand you, but... <laughs> but I'm not here to judge you. But, yeah. But... <laughs> I would really recommend checking out, um, yeah, checking out Double Feature. It is, it's, it's very different. Yeah, and it's cool. We get to see a lot of our um, series regulars kind of in roles that I haven't seen them in yet. So that's really exciting. Um, so we love that. Uh, I see something else. Oh, and of course, as millennials, millennial icon Macaulay Culkin, who, man. He's a really good actor. He can act. I mean, I think, I I don't want to say like, oh, I didn't think he can act. But I mean, really what I know from him is when he was a child. Well, I mean, I've seen some of the more recent things he's done and stuff. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I just, I, I like him. And he's so iconic for us growing up with the Home Alone movies. So anyway, now that we've got that out of the way. Let's talk about Kill Creek. I know there is a lot of you out there that are going to be very, very happy to hear us talk about this book. This is an incredibly highly rated, beloved ass book. (laughs) So let's let's hear what the genre junkies think of it. But in case you're not familiar, this whole point here is going to be uh, spoiler free. And then we'll switch to spoilers in the second half and we'll warn you. At the end of a dark prairie road, nearly forgotten in the Kansas countryside, is the Finch House. For years, it has remained empty, overgrown and abandoned. Soon the door will be opened for the first time in decades. But something is waiting, lurking in the shadows, anxious to meet its new guests. When best-selling horror author Sam McGarver is invited to spend Halloween night in one of the country's most infamous haunted houses, he reluctantly agrees. At least he won't be alone. Joining him are three other masters of the macabre, writers who have helped shape modern horror. But what begins as a simple publicity stunt will become a fight for survival. (laughs) The entity they have awakened will follow them, torment them, threatening to make them a part of the bloody legacy of Kill Creek. I decided to get a little dramatic with it. For yeah. Little, 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 put a little extra on there. I, I am extra. Um, so Scott Thomas, let's talk about it. 
Um, first of all, just right off the bat, Scott, what was <laughs> we're gonna talk about Scott and Scott. You know, try <laughs> know. try to keep up, everybody. Yeah. Um, Scott T. <laughs> no, it's gonna get more confusing. Right off the bat, what was your experience? And you know, just kind of your your off the cuff Kill Creek. Okay, this book was an immediate obsession from page i don't know one two immediately i was absolutely hooked in this book and through all of its twists and turns and it definitely goes to a place i was not expecting yeah i was absolutely hooked i love this book Okay, so also, I know you read it on e-reader, but you also listened to audio? Yes. How was the audio? Audiobook's very good. Very is it a good. full cast, or is it? No, it is. It's, it's you know, one... One dude? Yes. I did not prepare who it was. That's okay. Um, it is very good. Uh, there was, you know, I've talked on the show a few times uh, about how, how excellent some of the audiobooks I've listened to recently. Right. And I won't talk about some of the not so excellent audiobooks they that know, I've they tried know to listen who they to. Are. Um <laughs> yeah. they know what they did. Uh <laughs> the less said the better. Yeah. I I won't I won't call You're gonna it out. out them. Yeah. Um it, it was nice to be reminded, oh okay, you know, it's not just oh I love every audiobook. It's like no, some some audiobooks are done really well. I this feel, one's yeah. done really well. <laughs> I feel like horror it's a high bar for a good audio. I mean, audiobook should always be a high bar, but I mean especially for horror, like you have to like make people feel a little scared. Yeah, I think maybe I think maybe horror lends itself more to it because horror is very much like sitting around a campfire kind of storytelling where um, other genres like fantasy, for example, can sometimes come off as a little bit like a corny dungeon master. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. So for me, my appeal score, um, I really straddle a line here. I'm got one foot in page Turner and one foot in obsession. And I really can't decide between the two. And it's uh, it's our show. So I don't have to, um, (laughs) I will say when I, I was definitely turning pages furiously. I flew through this book um, because I just had to know there's a bit of a slow burn to this book. I would say like it's a little bit more in the slow burn than in the like, you know, over the top, heavy hitting, lots of in your face action. That's a fascinating um that's a fascinating observation that yeah. you have that I absolutely don't agree with, but continue. <laughs> I love slow burn horror in movies and in books. And and I also like um, you know, fastening your face horror too. Um and I will say there is elements to this book that is obsession for me. Um so that's why I'm kind of straddling those two lines. There was um a little bit of umbrage I took with some stuff, but I kind of want to save some of it for the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. It actually comes with a trigger warning too. Um, one of the things that I will say that's not a spoiler is I feel like Scott Thomas is an incredibly talented writer and I would love to talk to him and I <laughs> hint, hint, and I'd love to, you know, <laughs> read his other works. Um, I am very critical and I don't talk about it a whole lot on the show, maybe not enough, of men writing women's voices. Uh-huh. 
And there was, there was times when I was so down with how he wrote T.C. Moore, our female character, horror author. Um, And then there was other times where it's, you know, you you guys know. When it's a man writing a woman and it feels very like... She ran breastily down the yeah. stairs. Yes. You know, you know, that's like something my cousin said once, and it totally like sticks with me. Um, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to save it for the spoiler section or not, but I, I have to say, I, I had some of the same thoughts that you did. Yeah. Um, I had to, I had to actually go back a little bit because right. for the first, um, I, I don't know, fifth of the book. Yes. There w- it is actually where it's particularly egregious. Yes, and then it completely dissolved yeah. for me. Well, yeah. Because well, I say completely, but you know, it, it pretty much did. And for me it really came down to I didn't know, you know, I didn't I, I had pictures in my head of all of the male characters, but I never knew what they were wearing. I never knew what color eyes they have with one exception or what color hair right. or anything like that. Whereas every single scene, I knew how her clothes fit on her breasts and how and how her hair was maning and and she's yeah. she's she's perfectly fit and she's hot, hot. but not too sexy not and too muscular. There, there, yeah, I agree. There's yeah. a little bit of there's. I felt that same bit of weirdness. Right, and then suddenly, um, he actually does start to write descriptions of the men. Yeah, and and he kind of evaporates off of her a little bit. Yeah, and, and I appreciated that. Now, that having been said, I adore this character he created of T.C. Moore. I adore her. And I think a lot of us out there who read a lot of books, and maybe especially a lot of us femmes, um, we're we're used to a certain amount of this with our writers. And it does not mean I dislike the book, I dislike Scott, or I dislike his writing. It is just something that we are keyed into mm-hmm. um and there's room to do better as a population but it's not like i have it out for you scott thomas you know what i mean and again more importantly he created a character that i love in tc Moore. so you know that's what matters is at the end of the end of the day he birthed he birthed for yeah. tc Moore. so tc is so all of these authors are kind of inspired by real authors, but also kind of like not. They're kind of tropey, which is such a fun, beautiful wink, wink, nudge, nudge to horror readers. So T.C. Moore is your splatterpunk, you know, author. Um, she is abrasive to the point of caricature <laughs> um, and really intense. And she, she has her reasons. Um, Sam McCarver is very salt of the earth, very like, I don't know, he writes a lot of like Midwest down home characters. And so like in a weird way, that kind of salt of the earth is a little Stephen King-ish. But at the same time, he also like, he kind of reminds me of your Paul Tremblay's, your less gory Nick Cutters, you know, like I don't know, just kind of like, just very, it's the evil men do. It is the evil within, you know, it's the evil in the small town. And then we have Daniel Slaughter, who writes teen horror, only he's not like Carl Stein and a lot of them, because he is very Christian. And he writes all of his books with a Christian slant, which I thought was such a funny take on that 
trope. That was smart. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was smart and it was funny. And then we have Sebastian Cole, who is he's really like the Stephen King. He's the elder statesman of the group. He's the um. Well, and he's also I, I don't know, kind of your H.P. Lovecraft, only not racist and strange. Um, <laughs> but you know where he writes um very highbrow horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and of course you could name a million different authors for all three of these. Um, so I, I thought that was so cute. <laughs> it's featuring the authors and, and, you know, tropey or, or somewhat stereotypical as they were is actually what drew me in even more in this case. Right. Um, and it may just be kind of a little bit of a specific thing to us we've had the chance of interviewing so many great authors and really getting to know people who, you know, live that lifestyle and and appreciate that art. And so they're like, there's a little bit of, um, uh, there's a little bit of inclusion of, of these people that we've gotten to meet and know into this book. I'm just imagining like four of, of our favorite authors just getting together and, and being in this situation that I really you know, really, really got to me and yeah. really invested me. Again, it, it felt love lettery. It felt wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, horror readers are are in on it. And, and I loved that because uh, it made me feel like Scott is, um, is a true horror fan himself. And I always, you know, like calls to like. <laughs> we can always <laughs> sense that in each other. Um, I will say for me, this is, I think, a really good general leaning almost towards broad appeal Mm. i mean if you're into horror i think um i think you will like this book and i say that a little bit nuanced (laughs) because i know horror fans are for the most part you will not find a horror reader who does not love this book it is so highly recommended it's all over social media always you know it's always yeah. like one of those books of people oh you got you got read this um i think there's i think there's enough there that it could kind of like you know maybe around halloween people might want to and this book is kind of centered around halloween too yeah might want to pick this up because they've heard about it but they're not really a horror fan some people just read horror in october like they just watch horror movies in october too and i could see that you know i'm kind of i'm kind of on the same page as you uh i think i feel like broad is almost one of our rarer scores that we give um, because if it's broad, why isn't it just mass? Um, I think broad is about right for this though, because I think you're right for, for the horror niche. It's, it's almost a slam dunk, right. you know, like you're into horror. This is something that's like right up your alley. Obvious. Um, but, it, but it goes further. Like in, in the first chapter of the book, I mean, the first, I mean, you get what I mean. At the very beginning of the book, there's almost like a primer to horror. Yes. In this book. Yes, there is. That kind of explains this is what this is what is horror and this is why it's important and this is why it it um you know, this is why it draws people in, which I have to say, bold move to basically give up all of your secrets in the first couple chapters of the book. And it's bold um, move. <laughs> and it's really beautiful because I actually have a little passage um like highlighted. Um I don't wanna take up too much time, but um Wainwright, one of the characters talking, he says, I love horror. There's something about letting another person lead you into darkness that is both unbearably terrifying and is and exquisitely thrilling. And I've trusted each of you to lead me into that darkness. And 
I think that's a really like you can say that to a non horror fan and they might be like, oh, oh okay, I kind of get it. Yeah. And you can also say that to a horror fan and we're like, yes! yes, you know, hitting. So, and he has a lot of little passages like that that are um, really beautiful little like nuggets of horror academia, I kind of want to say. So, I- I'm glad you brought up that quote because. Um, as you know, regular listeners will know, I'm, I appreciate horror and I, and I've been introduced quite a bit to horror, but one thing that that really sparked in my mind is that for a horror book, for a a horror author to grab me, Mm -hmm. I have to have trust in that author. Mm. Like I can almost forgive, like I can almost like, I don't know, forgives the wrong word, but I can, for fantasy sci-fi, I can kind of like go along with, you know, the author's decisions that might not necessarily like click with me. Sure. But horror, I really need to trust where they're coming from, where they're going, um, to actually like enjoy it throughout the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's why that actually really ringed for me. So you'll often hear people say that this is a variation or kind of a reinvention of the haunted house. Um, I, I can't think of another word, but like subgenre trope, if you will. Um, and I love haunted house stories, and um, I see that. So I definitely don't want to give anything away. But if you're still kind of like, so they go to this creepy house, and then what? Well, think of it as a departure on the ha- haunted house theme, and it's it's gonna go places you don't expect, big time. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of said how we feel, kind of said that we like this book. <laughs> We're going to hop on over to the spoiler section so we can expound on this. At the top of the spoiler section, I would like to give a small trigger warning, which actually plays a lot into some of the things I felt about this book. So if you would like to hear a trigger warning, it'll be right at the top, and then we'll launch into spoilers. Sound good? Sounds good. Off we go. <laughs> hey, Bookworm Buddy. Don't forget, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're at it, find us on Instagram at Genre Junkies. So first of all, if you want to hear some in-depth trigger warnings, uh, you know, look those up. There's always ways. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a horror book. Horrible things are going to happen. Um, <laughs> so if you're particularly sensitive to some issues, which is totally valid, look those up. The big one that we both wanted to mention is there is a little bit of fat phobia in this book. It's not, for me, for my interpretation, it wasn't incredibly heavy handed. And it actually did lean into some plot points, which we can discuss a little further. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, they will read this as blatant and hurtful fat phobia. Um, You know, we don't need to know why someone's doughy all the time. Like, it's just a little... It's a little cringe. It, I I do feel, I I you know what I I'm gonna say it. I actually feel like it goes a little too far in this book. I understand yeah. why it's there. I understand some of the importance and some of the plot points that are around it, but I think it actually goes a little bit too far. Well, then why don't we just go ahead and start from there? And if you don't want to hear any more and you want to make up for your own mind, then get Kill Creek. I mean, we did love it. So here we go. So I want to start before we, you said we're going to go into that. And we're going to start that. I have some some genuine critiques of this book. As much as I loved it and as much as I recommend it, 
I think that there's a few things that, you know, we talked about before and we talked about in this and we, and we just talked about in the trigger warning that, um, I think could have used, uh, sensitivity readers. Yeah. And, and I don't know that this book had it, um, and things might have been different had they, but maybe I, I don't think they did or some things would have been, I think, ironed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, the character of Daniel is it is constantly referred to how big he is. Now, part of this is he is also a physically huge man yes. <laughs> It's from the sound of it. And it's kind of a little funny because he's this you know kind of evangelical Christian and a little bit of a gentle giant, but he writes horror, but it's like Christian horror. So there's something that's um, kind of funny playing against type a little bit in there. Um, and then, of course, it becomes really astounding when he loses weight really rapidly. In because a very unhealthy way. Because we're all seeing how they're deteriorate, deteriorating. And his is the worst because of what he had to go through with his daughter. So, and, and people are like, my God, he looks sick. He looks awful. So, I mean, I, I get Scott's choice to do that. But I think it was a little heavy handed how much we had to be reminded that he is fat and in a big body. I agree. I think I think it's specifically how often we were reminded. It was pretty much constant. You can you can kind of make you can kind of describe him and explain it. Maybe have, you know, and there are a couple points where it's important, like over the well. So you, you know, kind of reiterate it there. You can reiterate it again when he, you know, when they all come back and he has lost like an unhealthy amount of weight. Mm -hmm. And then you can remind again, like when he can't follow him through some of the crawl space. Right. And that's really all you need. Right. Um, for, for what is important to the plot and, you know, just also establishing a character. But it does seem like every time, every time he's doing something. Yeah. It's, it is. You know, other characters are explaining and explaining how he's moving and how he and how he looks. Yeah. And then even and then even like when he is doing things described how things are because yeah. of his weight. And it's 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 a little icky. It is a little icky. And for some people, it can be just really hurtful language and stuff to hear it. And I think we could all, you know, be a little bit better about the words we choose. Um so and, and I mean so that we've got that and then like we like we said we've got you know kind of that little bit of uh, this feels like a man writing a woman stuff with TC more but um but again I, that part kind of evaporates a little bit for me that you know we kind of get a little bit more with the the men a little bit more yes. um another thing that in comparison may seem smaller but still is something that I was like I was kind of like tuned into mm-hmm. is that the first death is the black woman yes and it was done to kind of further everyone else's character and it just that also just felt kind of weird to me i think yeah i i hear what you're saying and i think that's something that has been called out to us as consumers of media to look for these things you know what i mean yeah. and so um i i do again her death and her character is important you know they were in love and they weren't allowed to be yeah and it's you know kind of that pain and that love and that loss is kind of what creates this 
egregore essentially that like you know starts the whole ball yeah. rolling so i there is significance in it but at the same time um there's going to be people who who are hurt by that and i went back and forth on on what if i felt you know okay if if that's the situation and that's who dies and that if i would feel if i would have felt better the way that it was um or if i would have felt better if it tied into the original story which it doesn't right of of you know these two people who were in love and the woman was a freed slave and i was like well maybe it's like you know a cyclical kind of thing i was like but that also feels kind of userous as well because i it already felt kind of weird that that was the first story mm. and i kind of like like taking out what we just talked about i kind of like the fact that that story is kind of a, a tropey and somewhat problematic origin story and right. has nothing to do with what's going on because that's important is there's yeah. that egregore and it's kind of the best way i can think of this um this thing that springs forth right from the house mm -hmm. um but yeah it's, they come from legends like that based on truth that then become this whole thing and and that's really the the whole crux of our story is how these things take on a life of their own. So, yeah, I mean, but again, as we've said before, and we will continue to say again, representation is personal and people are going to feel different ways about it. So I think one of the most important things, and we can preach this every single episode, is in the in the case of many things and many complaints, I really recommend listening to some own voices reviews. Always. I mean, don't abandon because, your friendly children, Chuggies, here. No, I'm just kidding. Because this, this is a hugely out, successful book. Always seek out own voices, reviews. Yeah. Always, always. And, and with a book this successful, it's very easy for those reviews to get um, outshadowed. So yeah. uh, I plan on collecting a few and sharing them. Yeah, just just, just peruse those if you would. Um, there's some great zingy, funny lines in this book. Um there's one I love. I don't know what's scarier, Moore said. The fact that you read that entire awful book or that you just said hooey with a straight face. <laughs> and then um, he tries, Slaughter tries to give her sass about blood, blood, blood dogma. Moore continues, the only reason teenage girls would ever think to harm themselves is because high and mighty pricks like you tell them that their own biology is sinful. The only need... They only need my release because of your repression. Maybe that's why my first book, a self-published book, sold more copies than an entire series of the church pamphlets you call novels. Girl! She has, I mean, she has some of the best lines in the in the book. She has a, a wonderful character arc. I would say all of our characters go on a journey. Her and Sam's are really the ones that um, I feel like we really get to to be kind of dialed into the whole process because Sam has this huge secret that he's been carrying around since his childhood. Um, and, you know, we know he's burned. People know he's in a house fire. I don't know. He killed his mom that time, though. Uh, bitch had it coming, by the way. Um, but yeah. that's, that's a lot to carry around. Um, and then, of course, Daniel, he has 
you know, I don't know, some kind of weird issues going on because of his evangelicalism. And then he also, he has his daughter that he loves so much that's like the light of his life. And I have to say, he actually sounds like a pretty cool dad. He like, does. Yeah. And so that sucks. And then we have Sebastian who is gay and he's old school and he's from a generation where, you know, that, I mean... <laughs> There's always going to be people where it's hard for them to be open about who they are, but people of an older generation, they carry a lot of stigma from that. And he has this love and, oh my gosh, I loved to see the way the house did his differently. And he, I mean, his was not a story of horror no. at all. No. His was a story of love. Um, and, uh, I, I really, because you talked about character growth, I appreciate that Sebastian came into this and he did not really have a story of growth. Uh. And, and I mean this in a good way. He uh -huh. came in knowing who he was, mm -hmm. uh, comfortable with who he was as much as yeah. he, he was comfortable just not kind of sharing that with the world, although was pretty comfortable sharing it with the other authors. Right. Like it wasn't a... I mean, whatever. How he wanted, it felt like he was where he wanted to be. Right. With that. He knows he's at yeah. near the end of his life, and yeah. And um, you know, even then, like he finished the book, and he kind of he kind of knew what was going on, but he didn't realize how like really everything that was happening. Yeah. And when he did, when he was like, "Oh, this is going to hurt all of these other people, and it's going to strengthen this evil thing," he made the decision like. No, I'm going to go and I'm going to help. Like I'm the one who's going to benefit from all of this. Right. It, but yeah. I don't I don't want to benefit off of this and so I'm going to support, you know, getting rid of this house. And, and he knew and he kind of says that he knew that it wasn't really Richard, but it was Richard enough. It was Richard enough to give him some happiness. To right give then. him some happiness and some comfort and um and he was able to, you know, he was able to run away from his, you know, creeping dementia for a right. while as well. Yes. And he looked younger. He looked more hale and hearty, it seems. Um, I thought that was such an interesting twist. I really did not see any of that coming with, um, you know, kind of kind of exploring that. Um, I would, again, um, be interested to hear. But for me, I did not read his being gay as a plot device, like a plot twist. No. It's intrinsic to his character, um, but it could have just as easily been his wife yes. or whatever. Uh, personal personal opinion on that. Um, I also really love that there's a reference to one of my favorite uh, portraits and artists, which I'm going to butcher this, but even though it's one of my favorites, I'm sorry. Judith Slang Holofernes, completed by Artemisia Gentileschi in the early 17th century. Um, I can never say her name very well. Big fan. <laughs> uh, and I just love anything that references that. Um, T.C. Moore's character development. Um, it also wasn't like terribly long, but I, I felt was kind of the... Um, the bravest statement, maybe? Yes. Um, so here's where that really sang for me is I liked more. <laughs> I liked her immediately. I liked her the whole time. But, you know, she's a little bit of an edgelord. Yeah. And she has like no 
humor. I mean, she has kind of like dry, funny, sarcastic, biting things she says, which I appreciate. But you know me, I'm a big silly and I'm always like, life should not be taken so seriously. Um, So it's kind of like, girl, you need to lighten up a little. <laughs> like, yeah. And, um, and I, I don't know that she completely lightens up, but she um, allows herself to be vulnerable and she allows herself to help others. And, you know, kind of like that's where her art comes from that I, I really appreciated. The other, the other thing that I thought was a really interesting statement to make is uh, I, we have read uh, books and movies and stories and all of that about, you know, pain and pleasure being mixed and there being kind of a sexualized aspect to, I mean, horrific body horror. Yeah. And, you know, the, the point in the book when she is actually going through that pain, she says, you know, these are all things that she's told herself and she's right. kind of made herself believe, but really there's pain. Yeah. It, there's just pain. Right. And um, yeah, I don't like pain. <laughs> it, hurts it hurts me. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, especially the type of pain that she's going through. Um, there's a, a little part that I loved that I felt was super genre junkies. Another quote, he was not above calling a book unreadable, but their literary merit wasn't important at this moment. They were words strung together to represent the firing of neurons and the transferring of information through synapses. They were human minds set into paper, and Sebastian loved every single one of them, even the ones he found disposable. Um, I love that. But then he also also likened uh, Slaughter's books to candy, and if you eat too many of them, you'll get sick. Yeah, no, he has some great little zingers himself but um there's i I, there's just something really i don't know really poignant about that that made me feel like oh that's super genre junkies doesn't matter what you read as long as you read yep um and i do appreciate a lot of the things more points out and societal disparages and all that stuff for all of her edgelording she's not wrong yeah (laughs) about most things um there's one part too when Sebastian makes a, a joke about like um, they're gonna Robert Ludlum my ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! It was so funny because when he was talking about what's gonna happen after he dies, I was literally thinking, "Oh yeah, Robert Ludlum." Um, yep. Sure enough. Uh, there's again, you know, we've talked a little bit about Lovecraft on this show before. Uh, we, like everyone else, admire the work. I think the man was a little slimy, to put it uh, simply, but there's a great quote that's used in here as well about uh, the strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear is the unknown. And that kind of plays into, I- again, like that love of horror, at, you know, and kind of the fascination of horror. And I appreciated that, like, you know, kind of paying a little um, homage there. Horror is no longer things that go bump in the night. You know, it's um, every day is horror. And so then you use horror as kind of a an escape from real life horrors, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of that sort of energy, which, of course, is like music to my ears. <laughs> there, there's a lot of navel gazing uh, as far as horror writing is concerned yes. in this book. In a good way. You're not saying that disparaging. No, I mean that in a good way. I... I think one of the reasons that this is so popular is, I mean, 
our, our author friends out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of authors are reading this. You know what I mean? I think that this is something that there's there's some there's some real strong truths that I think a lot of authors will will resonate to in, in each of the characters. Um another great more line that I highlighted, Jesus fist fucking Christ. Oh me more too. That. Oh that made I me might laugh. steal that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um I love that Moore's dog is named Lilith. Thank you. I see you. Um <laughs> Oh my gosh. Can we just really quickly talk about um Adudel, Dr. Adudel? Yes. Oh my goodness. He creeped me out. He creeped me the heck out. Uh, especially when he's like, it'll never let you go. You belong to the house. Smack. That was with the bus. That was such a uh it's all for you, Damien moment. Oh yes. Absolutely it was. Um I, I thought that was so creepy and like how he's kind of like he's talking to them in the house and he's kind of like uh-huh uh-huh and kind of smile and nodding and, and kind of telling them stuff but he's being so cheeky about it i mean to the point where they actually you know start to turn on him he's really enjoying being the center of attention oh he again. loves it and he has a love affair with this house and its power and that whole scene is written with such um, tension. I really loved it. And especially because, again, Sebastian's been meeting with him. Sebastian knows stuff. Sebastian already knows about this. And so it's kind of like you have these two characters who are holding back, but in very different ways. Great way to build tension. Um, I will say, I think Daniel Slaughter suffered (laughs) the worst out of everybody. He suffered enough, and now you make him the bad guy? Yeah. Um, he's probably, he probably should have been the final girl, but you know what? It was smart though. It was so smart because again, the house is diabolical plan from the beginning. Perfect. And weren't you expecting Sebastian to end up being like the, the one who turned on the, on the group? He just seemed too nice and too put together. It's like, he's going to be the one who screws up everything for everyone. Yeah. I had my suspicions If someone in the group was going to turn. It was, it was going to be him. Um, I loved the scene again, great building of tension when, um, Daniel gets into the boarded up third, third floor room. And of course the way he sees things are so different than it actually is. Um, I loved how creepy and horrifying the sisters were at the end. It just goes into that all out, just like nasty, scary horror. Um, But yeah, I I thought it was, again, it was just the house. The house knows. It's kind of like Vegas. The house always wins. So we keep talking about the house and we haven't actually talked about the house. Love the house. And the main main conceit of this story. Yes. And that is, is that, at least in the case of this house. And, you know, Scott does not make a, you know, does not make a statement that this is what all hauntings are. But as far as this house is concerned, it's not haunted so much. Right. It is, But it is energized right. by the stories that are told about it. I'm reminded of kind of, you know, okay, there are stories about this and there's also real beliefs about this. But kind of the idea that like, like gods are as powerful as they are remembered right or they are worshiped yes and love that. this house is that concept but towards haunting it, it's kind of the idea of pol- of a poltergeist in a way where a poltergeist is not 
the spirit of a dead person. It is an energy that is projected by someone else. And this is really just the, the, the projection of belief, of story. So this is, um, I use this term a lot in life. It's something I think about a, a great deal. And I've said it a few times tonight. An egregore. So for those who don't know, an egregore is an occult concept uh, representing a distinct non-physical entity that arises from a collective group of people. Um, so, you know, it was, it's a psychic manifestation, a thought form, and it occurs when a group shares a common motivation. And you can kind of, it doesn't, from what I've understood, it doesn't always have to be a group. It can be a person kind of creates an egregore too. Um, like there's a lot of people who would say, um, Satan is an egregore, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I hope we're all following along at home. I know I'm an occultist, but you know, I'm sure some of you are too. Um, so yeah, but it's kind of that notion that it's like a battery, you know, and it's like you feed it. And it goes out into the world. And it takes on a life of its own. And I think, um, yeah, I thought it was that was great. That was great in this book. A really good concept, and um, I feel like a good execution of that concept. So, speaking of execution, Ooh. Um, <laughs> it's time for us to give it our John and Junkies execution score. Um, hmm. Do you have an idea for I do. Scoring? I okay. do. Uh, how about sledgehammers? I love it. So, um, despite criticisms and, you know, uh, which is fine. Criticism does not mean you don't like something. And it is our job as reviewers to have criticism. Be critical. Yeah. yeah and to, I hope, offer constructive criticism and, um, you know, just kind of sharing our opinions on things and, you know, kind of letting readers know what they're in for. And maybe if this is a book for them or not a book for them. Uh, I think that this is an incredibly enjoyable book. I totally understand the hype now. I'm so happy that I'm in on it, <laughs> that I'm in on, on the joke, as it were. Um, I really, really enjoy this book. So for me, it's going to be a four sledgehammers out of five. Um, I've been thinking about this score for a little while now, um, being our execution score. I think it's important that not every book has to be perfect and not every person and therefore author has to make all of the perfect choices every single time. This fucking Christ, no. <laughs> Absolutely, you're right. Uh, I think this is going to be an explicit episode. There's no way that I can bleep these out. <laughs> um, that said, I think that uh, he made some fairly egregious mistakes when it comes to execution for the concept, the world and the, uh, and even the characters. Excellent. I have no, I would have no problem giving it five sledgehammers out of five, but there was enough in there that even myself who kind of tries to be woke, but isn't, you know, a hundred percent there. I got pulled out of the story a few too many times with these. Mm. So, it's an obsession book. I think it's broad appeal, but I'm giving it three sledgehammers out of five right. for execution. Would you also maybe throw in the little hammer and chisel? I think that that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It helps It helps move the wall along. <laughs> um, that was also just so beautifully depicted when they were working on that wall. Loved that. Um, thank you, guys, for joining us for our first um, book of spooky season. We've got another one 
coming up. And you know what? You know what? If you made it all the way through, should I tell them what the next book's Let's be? do it. So, um, because this way we can't change it at the last minute like we have never done before. <laughs> so, our next book, if you've made it all the way through, I, I want to tell you something pretty exciting. So, this book is going to be re- released on the same day that our episode is released. One of my most anticipated books of the year, Cassandra Cause, Nothing But Blackened Teeth. One of the best covers I have seen in a long time, too. Sounds like a title that that suggests a book that's going to really creep me out, but okay. Mm-hmm. I have already started this book, and it was one of those where I started to get those feelings. Oh, no, let's not give it all away yet. No, of course not. But I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Okay. Anyway, um, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Sandra. I'm Scott. Please keep reading past your bedtime. Mm-hmm.